Did the earth move for you, or was that just fracking? Answer me this, answer me this. Without Theo and Hillary as dragons, then lacking. Answer me this, answer me this. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. Last week, we were contemplating really quite a deep and serious issue for Answer Me This. What constitutes losing your virginity if you are not bound to the heteronormative penis into vagina virginity loss method? Jim says, sticking anything of yours in someone else's something counts, right? No. That's like saying sticking your teaspoon into someone else's yogurt counts as no, virginity loss. No, I mean part of the body, but Fork, I mean... Fork and a toaster. But still, we wouldn't say if you put your finger in their ear that counts no, as virginity loss. if you French kissed, not virginity loss. No. Uh, well, Celeste says, the opinion of this hetero female is that cock in vag is the definitive moment that one's metaphorical cherry is popped. Well, so- sorry, gays and lesbians. It was not one decisive thunderclap for me, because I did actually say, is it in yet? Oh, what a lucky guy. <laughs> uh, to the horror of my then boyfriend, who was totally useless and small. Well, you say that, but then actually it could have been a learning experience, couldn't it? He could have improved his technique. I hope he has, oh. since the first, very first moment. I don't think any of us uh, performed at our best on the first uh, try. Well, you don't know that. Helen, you weren't there with me. Well, and it's just been downhill ever since for you. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's something to be proud of, Ollie. Uh, maybe Celeste just has a very large vagina. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. It's all speculation, of course. Luke has a, a different sort of spin on this definitions thing. He says, I've had sexual encounters, oral handjobs, fumbles, etc., with a number of women. Some of these went on to full sex where I climaxed, and often they did too. Good. good. It's nice, Show isn't it, off. when that happens. <laughs> Others were just brief, drunken shags, and I didn't climax. So, if someone asked me how many people I've had sex with, should I count only the women I've climaxed with, or does the act of penetration count too? For God's sake, how... Of course it counts, otherwise, I mean, you could... A lot of housewives from the 50s... (laughs) Never lost their virginity. No. As a man, if I'd had numerous penetrative experiences and not had an orgasm, I could see how... And like I said last week, this is much more important at the time than it is in retrospect when you look back on it. But I could see that at the time, I might consider that I hadn't lost my virginity until I'd ejaculated inside someone. That's ridiculous. Uh, well, that's but ridiculous. nonetheless, nonetheless, I, I can see the argument there. That's really stupid. What if you'd had sex with somebody for three hours and just not reached climax, Luke? Would you be like, nope, never been near her? My name is Charlie. Helen and Ollie, answer me this: How do I get people to take my flyers during the Edinburgh Fringe? I'm part of a uh, comedy group, a show, a variety show called Stand Up Tragedy. And one of my roles within the troupe is to get people to take flyers on the Royal Mile. But I am one of hundreds of people trying to do this. Surely the answer to this is it's the same as any marketing trick. You know, how do you get people to do anything? Well, with good advertising. Bit of patter. Bit of patter. Is the flyer well designed? Mm. Are you located in the right place on the Royal Mile? Indeed. Yeah. We had patter because our flyer... I feel safe saying this now, 12 years later, for our student production of Peter Nichols' Passion Play was not well designed. Mm. But because Peter Nichols' Passion Play uh, revolves around doppelgangers, my fellow actors and actresses uh, went out in our doppelganger gear and went up to people and said in unison, come and see our play. It's got doppelgangers in it and it's half price today with a flyer. <laughs> and in, it, they would laugh and yeah. take the flyer. But only now did we think, why is doppelgangers a selling point? Yes. 
I mean, in fact, even to understand what the word doppelganger means, you probably helps if you're either German or quite well educated. Yeah. Well, so it's not necessarily targeting all of the stand-up fans in Edinburgh, is it? Yeah. Well, they they would be sorely disappointed anyway with this two-hour student production of a play about middle-aged marital collapse. Isn't it weird the plays that students I choose know. to do when they can choose all of literature? Yep. Yep. They choose plays about middle-aged people having a sex crisis. I was always playing middle-aged people. Yeah. In fact, one person stopped me outside Passion Play one day and he said, "You were the only one who I really thought was 45. I was 25." <laughs> <laughs> what a compliment. Uh, you have mentioned this before on the podcast, which yep. might be why you're not mentioning it now, but uh-huh. I would like to repeat it for listeners yeah. who have only just joined us in the last few years. You also wrote the words passion play on your tits, I Yes, in, I mean, that, in eyeliner. That's and that eye worked. Yeah. Yeah, Perhaps I... try that, Charlie. Although you don't really want stand-up tragedy written on your boobs. <laughs> but you can't really tell who's come to the play as a result of these efforts. Mm. But I did hate flyering so much that sometimes I would go over to the quiet side of Edinburgh where people don't really fly it and just walk around and then put my fly in a toilet (laughs) (laughs) another thing that uh, we did uh, to fly another show that I was in uh, which was a children's show but terrible so I felt kind of guilty whenever we did convince children to come Uh, the producers had spent virtually all of the show's budget on face paints and they'd got a book of uh, the things you can paint on children's faces (laughs) like tiger face that kind of thing Uh the first child came and he chose a wolf and essentially I blacked him up because <laughs> it was just black face with, with yellow eyelids with kind of eyes drawn on them and I thought oh god this is awful but then someone came along saying you can't do this because you need a license to do face painting so you're supposed to have clean brushes for every child oh really which the producers had not researched at all so yeah. then they just had hundreds of pounds worth of completely useless face paint I've actually seen Paul Daniels flying oh. around a mile before what was his technique um, he did magic tricks which, Fair enough He's Paul Daniels Yeah right Do that, that then good. Charlie he's, he's not Dynamo though is he? He's not really a street magician But yeah. he did a few did, bits Did he levitate <laughs> And Debbie McGee just picked him up <laughs> <laughs> um, Actually one thing I have done This is a genuine tip Actually for you Charlie Look our other tips are genuine Don't black up children Write <laughs> things on your tips Okay I mean This is a specific tip That you could definitely do this year Okay I mean, Instead of just flyering The whole of the Royal Mile Indiscriminately yeah. Go and flyer The queue of people Who are queuing to buy tickets From the Edinburgh Fringe box office Mm. now play it soft don't be like full sales pitch because it is a bit intimidating but they are a captive audience they've got credit cards and they're paying they've chosen some things if your show's on two hours before a show they're going to see anyway and they're holding the flyer in their hand when they actually get to the box office i think they're more likely to buy than just a random who's walking up the street smart move thank you and, and I guess sometimes if there's a link as well between a show that's just finished and for example if you're doing a musical I guess you could fly a, the most popular musical at the Fringe you could stand outside and fly people for your one more likely that a musical audience would come to another musical for example now apropos of musicals at the Edinburgh Festival Ollie you told me something truly upsetting oh yeah about the time you were in a chorus line yes. at Edinburgh yes this was upsetting yeah I was in a student production yeah. NB yes yeah. and in Edinburgh you get fined if you go over your time slot because there's usually only about five minutes in between shows and you told me because the show was overrunning on so many days most performances didn't get to the climactic one singular sensation and you can forget the rest at the end which is the redemptive ending of the show and apt lyrics as well because literally most people do forget the rest they don't remember any other songs (laughs) from chorus line there were people that were waiting for it to hear one you do hear for those of you who know a chorus line you do hear one being rehearsed 
Not good enough. In the second half. Not but good you, enough. you only get the sparkly jackets and yeah. the full Broadway version. You only hear that in the curtain call, basically. And you spent all the money on the Lame suits, presumably. Yeah, they did. I've literally no idea what you two are talking about. It's the big showstopper. Yeah, did you even get to the point where the director was choosing who was going to be in the chorus line? Yeah, but in the version we were in to try and keep it spontaneous and fresh feeling, I chose different people each night. Um, which was, I mean, in a way, quite a clever device. Yeah. But, of course, inevitably, inevitably, the actors in the show, I was playing the director, I was playing Michael Douglas, the actors in the show felt that I was actually casting judgment on their performance that night. Well, hopefully that gave them incentive to be better the next day. Well, and I think that's what the director was thinking. He was thinking this would be a way of keeping everyone at the top of their game because they'll want to, on some level, yeah. they'll be competitive with each other and they'll want to get into the final selection. They want Ollie Mann's favour. But in truth... Uh, I was th- well. I was thinking two things. One, there was one standout diva who clearly could sing and dance and was amazing, mm. and it would be absurd. The audience would throttle me to death if I didn't put her in it, mm. right? So she went in every night apart from one night where tokenistically I didn't put her in, and I, you, I could feel the audience gasp. The other thing was, <laughs> the other thing was, because of that thing of thinking, oh, everyone's got to have a shot. There were some people who were a bit shit that I had to put in because mm. I didn't want them to feel victimised. And actually, it was nothing to do with the performances. It was also almost a mathematical equation. Right. You know, more, more often than not, I went with the ones in the script. And then a couple of nights a week, I'd vary it. Yeah, but I'm imagining that few people would go and see that version of the chorus line twice. No, indeed. So the, the pattern was only really in your head. Yes, yes. Well, but it was for the benefit of my other performers who were getting very insecure about it. And they the were end. not benefiting from it, which is probably why it's scripted who gets rejected, yes. even if they're better at singing and dancing. Exactly. Well, here is another question of the arts from Annie, who says, I'm studying advanced high English at school. Part of my coursework is to write a comparative essay on two texts by the same author. My dad happens to be one of the playwrights on the approved list. Wow. So, Ollie, answer me this. If I write my essay on my dad... Could the exam board say I was cheating? Would hmm. they would they know that he was your dad? If your dad wrote the essay for you, that would be cheating. Yeah. Uh, if you are using him as a primary source, that's going to look incredible. Mm. Now, some would say that you're you've got an unfair advantage. That's not the same as cheating, is it? No. You're, you're making the most of the. Uh, um, resources at your disposal and that's yeah. enterprising I would actually suggest that she might be at a disadvantage if she wants to regard his work with the objectivity that others would be yeah. perhaps she would be clouded by personal knowledge of his character mm. you might not actually be as good at analysing the text as somebody who does not know your dad well actually indeed and, and of course he probably isn't either and so if mm. you asked him for help actually he'd go uh, no that's not what I meant at exactly, all exactly. what are these York notes saying they're idiots <laughs> and it's not about what he intended is it it's about what people have interpreted mm. uh, over the past years and decades well, the intentionality of the author is uh, is important still I think but the point is most of the time you can't know because they're dead yeah. whereas you can go and ask your dad you see I think that's why at school level people like to teach war poetry because it's really obvious what they meant War's bad. That's what it means. I don't like it. We got conned into it and it's bad. My friend lost his leg. That's basically it, isn't bit, it? Bit chlorine down here. <laughs> I've got the question. Then email your question to answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. 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 Here's a question from Donna in Kentucky who says, Ollie, answer me this. If the only people who survived the flood 
were Noah, his three sons, and their respective wives. Isn't it amazing that all these years later we can still refer to it as the flood? Yeah. I remember 1990. I was there, Donna. Yeah, Hearn Hill had a nested flood the other oh. week. Yeah. Yeah, it did. Well, are you talking about the Great Flood of Edgware, Ollie? I am. It's about a foot of water came into our yeah. kitchen in Stanmore. You only survived by going up Harrow Hill. <laughs> Eat that, Noah. Um, <laughs> says, if, if those are the people who survived, yeah. and we're all descended from them... Mm. And not from the animals on the ark. Yes. <laughs> Are we not all Jewish? Oh, n- no, I don't think so, because Noah wasn't Jewish technically, was he? Because to be Jewish is to follow the Old Testament scripture, and he's in it. They hadn't written it yet. So it hadn't been written yet. What about if you followed all of the Old Testament scripture up until that point? I don't know if there was much scripture, and what there was was probably awfully wet from the flood. He was certainly monotheistic. I think we can, <laughs> we can conclude that about Noah. But I think it's reasonable to assume that from Noah, if you believe the Bible, came people of different religions, including Jews. Because in fact, I'm pretty sure Noah's in the Quran as well. Oh, Noah is a massively important figure in yeah. Islam, I yeah. understand. Right, so there you go. So, so the Abrahamic faiths came out at that time. So no, Noah wouldn't be Jewish in that case, would he? Do you know what I had not observed about Noah from all the childhood Bible stories about him was that he was a real wino. Yeah, he was a drinker, yeah. Yeah. Actually, and that's a clue that he probably wasn't Jewish. Because, I mean, I know we've got Ollie Reed, but apart from that, <laughs> generally speaking, Jews tend not to be massive drinkers. Really? They tend to overindulge on food or, or drugs if they oh, get into it's that. probably because co- kosher wine is like cough syrup and you can't <laughs> drink too much of it. Just tend not to be drinkers generally. Obviously, that's generalisation, but it tends to be the case. Mm. So I think if Noah was really into his bottle... Uh, probably wasn't a Jew. How did the practicalities of the Ark work? Nightmare. Because obviously it was a Rivers real historical thing. Um, Stinking. How, <laughs> yeah. What? How do they? I, I'm, I mean, seriously. How do Bible scholars say mm. Noah fed all those animals? Because you think about a zoo mm. and the amount of staff that are required. London yeah. Zoo, two hundred volunteers a day. How many people are required just to clean out their crap and feed them? Not not just Noah, the three sons, and Noah's wife and the son's wife. Yeah, and, and not just with the anthropological species that are on display in London's biggest zoo, but every animal in the world. Yeah, but they might have just had a few animals then, and we've had a lot more speciation since. That is the kind of thing a Bible I, scholar would I say, I don't think it's it? really accurate to ecology, though, is it? Like, if you think about it, let's take a spider. Like, it probably eats a lot of flies. More than two flies. Yeah, and it's like, what else is it going to eat? What's it going to eat? Yeah. So, like, uh, almost immediately, the biggest animal would eat all of the smaller animals, or, and that would cascade yes, down. Yeah, yeah. You'd just be left left with a really fat lion. And, <laughs> and being honest, it would be difficult for Noah's family not to think, "I'm going to have a bit of ostrich or whatever." Yeah. You know, it's just after what were they eating? Pulses, I presume. I suppose. And um, water, sea water. Yeah, well, I suppose there were still uh, the aquatic creatures that they could uh, fish out of the floodwaters. The Bible says he took two of each animal but that could just mean at least two maybe he took a hundred of some so that he could feed but even so what are you going to feed the animals in fairness the bible doesn't in my recollection pretend that it was a logistical simplicity all this i think it makes it quite clear that noah was heroic for for doing this i think it's a bit of a bell-end request from god actually for him to go look i've created this thing i don't like it much anymore look you here's a big job for you while i just wipe the slate clean rather than properly trying to fix what i did yeah um, if you were on a boat for 40 days and 40 nights, or however long it took to withstand the biggest flood the world had ever Indeed, seen, yeah. what would you do as a leisure activity? And would you take up board. <laughs> would, you, would you take up any of the space on board that you could have had more animals in? Because you'd feel a responsibility there, wouldn't well, you? You'd think, even if just one Monopoly set, you think, well, I could have had a penguin there. Yeah, but I don't know, firstly, whether there would have been much excess space. And secondly, most of your time's going to be taken up shoveling animal shit. Yeah, that's right. 
and stopping them from eating each other. And maybe get some exercise. I mean, just like a chin-up bar doesn't take up much space. So I know, but some chin-ups on the deck. It can't be all work and those plates. At some point, you've got to unwind. I Even if you just take a little bit of five minutes downtime. I'm not sure that the ventral god of the Old Testament was really that uh, attentive towards people's leisure needs. <laughs> His work-life balance. No. Did they have a cruise ship singer on the ark? <laughs> uh, well, on the subject of transporting animals by sea, uh, this is from Lindsay, which is talking about transporting animals to sea world. Uh, because she says, uh, Helen, answer me this. How do they get whales to SeaWorld and Sea Life centres? As they're far inland, do they transport them using giant fishbowls? Giant fishbowls. If you've ever tried transporting a fishbowl any distance, and I have... Just across a room can be a problem. You'll know that the water spills everywhere in a yeah. car. It really depends on the size of the whale and the journey, but generally either they put them in a big water tank or they put them in a kind of padded sling in a container and then they put that onto the truck or plane or ship and transport the whale that way. Wait, when it's in the sling, it's not... It's not... In, oh, because they... It's a mammal. They're air breathers, of yeah, course, yeah. I, th I think it's kept moist and cool by its human consorts. I've seen videos of them transporting a massive killer whale from SeaWorld and it was on the back of a truck and there were about ten adults standing around the truck with it just pouring water on it and tapping mm. it on the head. Tapping it on the head. Yeah, What's as if say they're there, basically. Oh, wow. Know. What a strange experience that must be. What a strange job. What do you do? I calm whales mm. down whilst they travel across the oh, states. Whale whisperer. <laughs> I've read about just them trying to get whales out of SeaWorld back into the sea, and even that, just a couple of miles, seems to be an enormous operation. Yeah, well, especially because, as I understand it, they grow often when they're in captivity. Mm. So you may have had a whale that you've even because right, obviously SeaWorld they have whales that are born natively there that yeah. they then put in their performing shows and whatever but they also have a program where they take injured whales and nurse them back to health yeah. in SeaWorld and those ones they don't make perform they put them back in the wild but then when they put them back in the wild they've grown like three times the size they were when oh, they got them really? so that in itself becomes a logistical difficulty rather yeah anyone would think that whales aren't supposed to be in buildings on land that said <laughs> um i'd quite like to be and i'm a mammal i'm a big mammal you'd like to be transported in a sling with people patting you on the head and squirting water at you oh, yes yes day. i would one day I'll because live. think about your arm in a sling when you've injured it mm. it's not fun because you've hurt your arm but if you were the arm it's quite fun isn't it it's being a bit airborne swinging I, around i do like hammocks it's true yeah <laughs> exactly it's a hammock exactly if they use the word hammock instead of sling i know the whale doesn't understand what's going on which is what makes it problematic but if you could explain to the whale Look, you're going back to the ocean, mate. This is going to be fun. Yeah. And you get to be in a hammock for 10 hours. Yeah. Or, alternatively, you're coming out of the ocean and you're going to be a star. <laughs> yeah, that's maybe not so much fun. Sea <laughs> world. Da, 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 da. How many social networks are you on? Feeble friends, the path you pawn. MySpace, Ping, and Google Buzz. If you want to be our pal, go to this url facebook.com slash answer me this or twitter.com slash helen and dolly but please don't follow us in real life listeners you are always very welcome to submit questions using your voice via our telephone line for which you dial this number <laughs> Or you Skype, answer me this. And let's hear who's been in touch this week. It's Phil and Stoke. Hi, answer me this. What is a glassier cherry? My partner thinks it's not a real cherry. They say it's made of sugar, but I don't agree. Um, and if it is a real cherry, what have they done to it? 
you know, bright red colour. With climate change, glacier cherries are severely endangered. <laughs> and that thing. He means he means glacé cherry, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. The, the two concepts are not mutually exclusive, actually, what you and your partner say. Your partner says, full of sugar. Mm-hmm. You say, real cherry. Yep. I say, it is both a real cherry and full of sugar. It's that re- is what yes, it is. you're so correct. preserved in, in immense amounts of sugar. Yeah, yeah it exactly. Works. It's been put in a, in a sugar syrup and then heated again and again and again mm. to preserve both the flesh and the flavour, although I can't taste any cherry flavour in a glacier cherry. No. In a glacier cherry. I'm, I'm doing it now, Phil. Because <laughs> it just tastes of glacier cherry, which is just super sugar. In the process of being heated up in sugar syrup, they lose their colour, which means uh, the colour has to be put back in, in no. much more intensively than ever before. That's so weird, isn't it? Why would you construct a process where you actually drain the flavour out and then have to paint it? Well, can I guess, can I guess what it is? is Modern it, life, Ollie. Is it cochineal? No. Is it anate? No. Okay, what is it? It is uh, erythrocene, aka E number 127. Oh, jeez. And uh, that is made out of coal tar. And weirdly enough, in Canada, they consume 10 times more of that colourant than uh, in most other countries. So, what is it that Canadians are eating that has so many glacé cherries in it? <laughs> I wonder if they put it in maple syrup, they eat like that, don't they, in uh, Canada? Or Maybe. The, or they colour their bacon with it. But in American glacé cherries, they put a colouring called Allura Red, which is uh, derived Ooh. from petroleum, so no wonder Americans are so fond of drilling for oil. Now, in Dragon's Den, they would say that this was a problem that didn't require a solution, that the person who'd invented glacé cherries had come mm. up with this thing that no one was asking for, uh, right. and therefore, oh moot! But uh, I don't know, because they were preserving fruit, so well, people were asking for it, preserving it for a different season. Right. Well, that's what I was going to go on to ask. So there is a logical reason for doing it. It's not just that it's the tradition of making cherry breakfast with them. It's that if you made them with real cherries, they'd go off. Well, well also, you might want to make something with fruit outside of that fruit season. Yeah. And at Christmas, people have a lot of preserved fruit things because it was the middle of winter and you hadn't seen fruit for four months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it can be a nice surprise, can't it, if it doesn't taste of horrible fruitcake. But I remember that um, glacé fruits in childhood, they always looked so tremendously exciting they're all very vivid colours and they all look a bit like a familiar fruit but they crucially aren't and yet they all just taste like thick sugar which was rather disappointing I can sometimes quite enjoy the taste of the fluid that they're preserved in Mm. Have you not invented some kind of martini that's got that in? I was just thinking. <laughs> the kiddie martini but or something. You probably could do that with that, couldn't you? Do you ever miss a glacé cherry, though, where you're having something that would normally have one on, like, mm. say, a Belgian bun, but it does not have one on? No. Is it a critical component to anybody of anything? Maybe on a trifle I'd miss it. Uh, mm. cher- cherries, though, I think are one of the most wonderful fruits, oh, and I'd good, rather yeah. just eat them all in season than have this pretense at a cherry in January. But you can put them in almond, yeah. Almond cherries are amazing. Yeah, not so suitable for kids' Sundays, though, is it? <laughs> it keeps them quiet. Here's a question from Tom, who says, Ollie, answer me this. Why is Barry Scott... Barry Scott! on the adverts for Sillit Bang. Because people talk about him by doing that, like we are now, that's why. Did he invent Sillit Bang? And what, ha- what do you think? <laughs> and happens to be very loudly proud of it. Or is he, like all of these mascots, just the product of a corporation that has numerous cleaning products in its stable no. and needs to differentiate them in the marketplace? He's another Mr. Kipling. <laughs> he is, basically. No! Uh, yeah. Who owns Silit Bang? Uh, Silit Bang is owned by the same company. Uh, I can't remember their name, but they're a big multinational and they own Mr. Sheen and Detol and Lemsip. 
Right. Um, so yeah, so they, they came up with the idea of Barry Scott as an advertising wheeze. Well, it's just weird though, isn't it? It's like, here is a shouty man who you don't know about endorsing a product. But it works because he comes on, doesn't he, boldly. Hi, I'm Barry Scott. Straight away the question, who the fuck's Barry Scott? Why do well, I care? Whoever he is, he's very confident, isn't he? <laughs> and confidence is persuasive. And actually, uh, what's interesting is they obviously came up with Barry Scott as a kind of pre-viral marketing, viral marketing mm, ploy. Yeah. Um, and back in 2005... The company got in trouble, Silit Bang, for having Barry Scott, in inverted commas, uh, putting posts on people's blogs. Blogging very much a burgeoning medium then. Um, And uh, Barry Scott would comment on people's blogs about cleaning and stuff. And bloggers (laughs) rumbled that this was actually Barry Scott, the creation of the Silit Bang company. What, rather than a genuine Barry Scott? Rather than a real Barry Scott. There's a guy that plays Barry Scott, not called Barry Scott. No, he's called Neil Burgess. He's an actor. What else has he been in? Uh, Well, not much. (laughs) He um, doesn't need to. He's got his silly bang box. <laughs> Neil, if you're listening, I, I'm not demeaning your theatrical career. That isn't written about on the internet. You might be in rep at Birmingham for the last five years. I wouldn't know. It was the role he was born to your, play. Your Malvolio might be marvellous. Bang and the dirt is gone, <laughs> he said in an Olivier way. <laughs> but your your television and film credits, let's be honest, are a bit shit. Uh, he has played the um, chestnut vendor in Macorba. Um, he has played a paramedic in uh, the last series of Waking the Dead. Someone died from drinking Silit Bang. <laughs> and in the last series of Life Begins, he was a removal man. I haven't seen a Silit Bang advert for rather a long time. I can't remember whether he's still on them. But I feel like he's not the kind of character that you could replace with a different Barry Scott. I think you could get away with a different Mr. Muscle because it's just a weedy guy. Yeah. You could get away with a different Captain Birdseye. You could mm. even replace the 118 guys with similar looking guys. Barry mm. Scott. I think it would be I just hard. find that amazing. Like, like those all those things you mentioned. They're, they're mascots. They're archetypes. Yeah, like Ronald McDonald. You don't think he's a real clown. psychotic clown, <laughs> and you don't think a hamburger is actually stealing things. Barry Scott's just a bloke's name. I thought. Yeah. He, I thought maybe. I thought maybe he was like someone who ran the company or something. It's, it's very male marketed, isn't it? It's like really? oh, we, well, we can't we can't have something which like men won't go for. So we're going to have someone really blokey. It's going to be called something like Ramrod. <laughs> I never thought of it as being blokey because I think the packaging is quite bright pink. Yes, but it is. It's ironised, is what it is. I think it is. There is an element, probably. I'm guessing here, but I think there's possibly an element of single man frat pad type vibe mm. if you're going to buy a cleaning product because you have to sometimes buy the one advertised by Barry Scott because it's funny yeah but th- there have been those rival campaigns aimed at hapless men and because there was that one for a few years where I think it was flash spray or something it was like oh I've just shut on the kitchen floor the missus is due oh, home she's yeah, never going to know squirt squirt yeah, 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 <laughs> you know the one I'm talking yeah, about yeah, Jack from Bush tricks is that who it is yeah it was <laughs> yeah 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 and you're right the implication was kind of like I've just had the woman I'm having an affair with round and, and there's, there's vaginal discharge all over the sofa the golden shower is, is really not going to make my wife happy but I'm a stupid man so I don't know what to do oh hold on I do it's called flash because I'm a man who's learnt how to use cleaning products I've rendered women obsolete don't tell the missus though Buy an answer me this satchel or an answer me this apron. I still got too much money. I still got too much money. Buy an answer me this mug or answer me this yellow t-shirt. I do not like yellow. I don't look good in yellow. They're also available in red and white and black. Where can I get these things from? Where can I get these things from? From cafepress.com slash answer me this. I've got too much money. I've got, oh no, I haven't anymore because although the items were very reasonably priced, uh, the import duty was cripplingly expensive, but no matter, it was still worth it, because I'm a fly mofo! 
A question of travel now from Paul in Koenji, who says, I live and work in Tokyo, and of course feel the obligation to go back to the UK to visit my little old mother each and every Christmas. Uh, on the way back home last Christmas, I was coincidentally sat in the seat directly in front of a colleague who I've never been overly chummy with. That would make me very awkward, by the way, if a colleague was behind me on a flight. It's a long time for them to be behind you. And also they could see everything that you're watching on the screen. I got a text from my mum uh, this week to say that she was on the train with Andy Zaltzman <laughs> and that he'd helped her with her bag. But They've never met in real life, They've never they? met, no. And she didn't want to declare herself to him because she was conscious that uh, she didn't want them to make four and a half hours of small talk or for him to feel obliged. That was very thoughtful. What she could have done is uh, when they were getting off the train, if they were getting off at the same station, she went, oh... Oh, you're Andy. Hello. Well, must yeah. be going. You've got to act that very well, though, haven't your, you? Your mother's an actress. I know. If you gave any indication that that was an act and that actually the whole way through you'd been waiting to do that because you didn't want to speak to them for four hours, that's worse than not saying anything. Yeah, but as Andy has never met your mother before, he wouldn't have known. Yeah. Not a problem. Anyway, the reason I'd be uncomfortable about a colleague sitting behind me on a plane is because of my bum gas. Nothing to do with anything else. Oh, are you very windy on a plane? Well, it's, I'm windy everywhere, Helen, but it's just that on a train you can't really get away with it because of the noise. On a plane, no one can hear it because of the low rumble of the engine. Mm. So I just fart away and freely on an aeroplane. And whereas... everyone else <laughs> slowly expiscates. No one knows it's you. But if my colleague was behind me, not they'd recognise the smell of my farts I think I would. Yeah, you probably would. Yeah. Well, if it was you, I would feel nervous about it. No, you wouldn't. Anyway, returning to this flight that uh, Paul took uh, from Tokyo to uh, the UK, mm -hmm. six months passed after that flight with barely any mention of it until recently, when said colleague decided to speak his mind and unleash half a year's worth of pent-up air rage over me having reclined my seat too far. The nerve of it! I'll be the first, says Paul, to admit that I've been less than content with strangers reclining in the past. But since it's their prerogative, I always shrug it off with an oh well, tough shit me, and proceed to partake in the cabin long reclining domino effect. <laughs> that is a very good description, that's exactly what yeah. happens. And then when the person in the back tilts their seatbelt, the tail falls off. So, Helen, answer me this. Once the seatbelt light goes off, is it wrong to recline? Are you suggesting that the option to recline is a kind of divine choice? Uh, if it were wrong, why don't they just not give you the option, but no, God wants to test you? If you have to choose on one side or the other, it's right to recline. I never recline, and I don't miss it, but also it's because I dislike it when people recline upon me and I don't want to inflict that upon another person. However, if the airlines were slightly more generous with the legroom, this wouldn't be such a problem, would it? having people recline into your face. So even when you're trying to sleep, and I know that you can't ever actually sleep no. on an aeroplane, but nonetheless, when you're trying to do that thing where you've got the blinkers on and you're in someone else's armpit curled up into a ball listening to terrible music, when you're doing that... <laughs> that's, that's parties you're getting mixed up with. <laughs> when you're doing that, uh, are you not at least at a slight recline? Nope. You don't press the button at all? I never recline. You're being cruel to yourself. No, I'm not. You are. You've paid for the option to recline. They're well, giving you the option to recline. I'm paying with my comforts for someone else not to have me recline at them. Yeah, but the, the point is they don't appreciate it, Ellen. No one's no, ever come do. up to you at the end of the flight and said, thank you for not reclining. They don't need to. It's more like a passive appreciation. They okay. might not think I'm glad that uh, this person has not reclined, but they would certainly be unglad if I did recline. Despite my own personal beliefs, I don't think Paul was wrong to recline. I do think it was wrong and silly of his colleague to be stewing on this completely inconsequential slight for six months. That is not a very adult way to it's behave. It's not a sign of a healthy emotional attitude, no. is it? No. I mean, in the workplace, maybe you just don't feel you've ever had the opportunity to raise these kind of issues. Maybe it's yeah. not about this reclining seat yeah, at all. Well, yeah, well, that's well, the thing, because well. otherwise, the only time really to confront somebody you know about the seat reclining issue is while you're on the flight, because now you can't go back in time and give them a bit of extra room, can you? The, probably the context this came up mm. was they were showing how you are selfish. 
They probably mm. said, oh, Paul, you're so selfish, like when we were on that plane. And, you were, and it was probably the first example that came into their head. I wonder if they've actually been stewing on it. They probably actually couldn't find another example. Well, Paul, there's a little psychological project. Come back and tell us what was really the matter. That brings us to the end of today's podcast. That's it. You're getting no more. I hope you can cope with this. There might be another 30 seconds of this left, but it's all just waffle. That's yeah. it now. No more answering th- th- questions. This is just to ease you off. <laughs> yeah, it's the wind down. But before we go, we must just urge you to send us your questions via email, phone or Skype. Our contact details are on our website. Answermethispodcast.com Which is where you head to buy our merchandise and our classic episodes. And by classic, Ollie just means... Old. Yep. Antique. Yep. Mm, they're not antiques yet, are they? I think that means they have to be a certain number of years. That's true. They go classic first, don't they? And then antique yeah. after a few decades. When are they vintage? 20 yeah, years vintage. for vintage. Yeah. So now they're just retro. Okay. Okay, our retro episodes. <laughs> Retronauts, go and get them. Yeah. See what celebrities we were making fun of in 2009. Ooh. Oh, Katy Perry. She's new. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.